Gracious God, as we come before you to hear your words today, they are hard words. Some of the hardest words you've ever said to us in the Bible. Words that we sometimes gloss over or move past or think about once in a while but never really live out fully their deepest meaning. So this morning speak to us about this next part of the Sermon on the Plain as you spoke to the disciples and the questioning crowd that was gathered around. We are questioning. We have lots of questions. You have the answers. Sometimes they're hard to hear. So let us have ears this morning to hear and eyes to see who you are in our lives, Jesus. The people of God said together, Amen. Those who live in the United States, by the way, there's not an event today, between watching General Conference all day and the 18,000 alerts I got on my phone every five seconds while I was trying to concentrate, I just couldn't get it together. But I will do an event for this, and I'll also be sending this sermon out to everybody so you can see everything that's in it. And we'll make up for it, Debbie. Those who live in the United States live in democracy. The United Methodist Church was conceived and born as a democracy too, with legislative, executive, judicial branches. Those are our Council of Bishops as the executive branch. General Conference is our legislative branch. And Judicial Council is our Supreme Court. In fact, some of you have heard me say that we're not sure if the great experiment was that the Methodist Church was formed after the federal government in the same style or if the federal government actually was formed like the Methodist Church was. No one really knows for sure in history, actually. And although I believe this is the best form of government, more and more I can see how its strengths and weaknesses are mirrored in all of us as Methodists who are not united To democracy creates winners and losers, positions and posturing. The losers are expected to accept the decision and wait until the next vote. And on and on it goes with battle lines drawn and casualty after casualty. And everyone hurts before it's over. See, both our culture and our church have become increasingly divided. We demonize the other and cease listening to one another along the battle lines. Your side is not my side. I can't possibly learn anything from you. No doubt it was the same in Jesus' day with the Pharisees against the Sadducees, the Jews against the Samaritans, the Zealots against the Romans. And so it is to a questioning crowd one looking for and to hear some words of peace, that in verse 27 of the same Luke 6 we talked about last week, the Sermon on the Plain, that he continues on with the words that we left at the end of last week. He says in verse 27 and following, But I say to you who are willing to hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Jesus challenged the crowd, to hear. Then he says the the shocking phrase, love 
your enemies. Say that with me. Love your enemies. What? He didn't just tell them to, to listen to them. We are to love them. Jesus' commandment to love our enemies is pick as many of these as you want to pick in, in your head. Is it unrealistic or reckless? Is it a fanciful notion or a good idea? Is it inviting harm? Is it a practice I need to get better at? Is it something I work hard at? Does it come naturally to me? What of those speak to you? I guess imagine how the people around him that day must have looked at one another in amazement, like we still do, shaking their heads at the idea of how absurd this really was to love our enemies. What will we do with that? And some must have decided they were not willing to hear. And they walked away with their heads full of questions about how this could possibly happen. I, I can't do that, Jesus. I, what are you even talking about? That's ridiculous. I thought you actually had some truth to teach me. Others began to work on how maybe they could bargain. You know, which enemy might they love without risking their own position? How far can I love somebody and risk? Others tried to imagine how they could love their enemies. Our imaginations can help us to see all the people who were there that day listening to Jesus. And their responses were not all the same. What's your response to this hard text? How do you live it out in your life? Do you live it out? Do you struggle with it at all? Do you try to minimize it? Notice that Jesus does not seem to be asking us to agree with one another. That is nowhere in this text. Instead, Jesus asks us to love one another. He's talking about the kingdom of God, where love is the rule, and it's not an eye for an eye, even though that was a great form of justice, because before that, if you actually punched somebody, you were killed. So eye for an eye was actually retributive in the sense it was at least restorative that you could only do whatever happened to you back, not to the extreme. But even that wasn't good enough for Jesus. He tells us that. I tell you, it's not an eye for an eye. Even though that was a good place, they thought. And he says in verse 28, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And then goes on, if anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. If anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. And then he says, do to others as you would have them do to you. And the next verse contains examples of ways we should be generous. And that we shouldn't expect anything in return. In fact, Jesus tells us, once again, 
if we are willing to hear. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Everything about the way of being a follower of Jesus, of Christ, goes against the ways of the world. To love others who love us, that's easy. Those who do good to us, of course we're going to be good to them. Doesn't make us a Christian. That's what he says. These things are easy. I'm telling you something that's hard. That's very hard. It's so countercultural that perhaps we're not even willing to hear it. Just can't wrap my mind around it. I don't understand. It makes no sense. And Jesus knew that what he was saying was going to fall on some deaf ears. You ever heard that phrase before, you know? It's falling on deaf ears. Because we can't really hear it. It's too hard. Or we don't want to hear it. You see, part of the challenge of this teaching is that we're confronted by competing values. If I turn my other cheek after being struck, how badly will I be wounded? Will my wound threaten those who depend on me? Will I lose my position in society because I'm ashamed? If I give my coat away, how can I pass it on to my child who may be cold? There's all kinds of things that we say about why we wouldn't do that. Go further in that text, you'll find the reason about what it talks about and what it's really saying. And then verse 34 If you lend to those for whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend lend to sinners to receive as much again. And then he goes again. But love your enemies. Say that with me. Love your enemies. Do good and lend expecting nothing in return. In fact, Jesus asks us to give without any expectation of reward in return. To love without any expectation of reward. To do good without any expectation of reward. How does this work? Will others be vulnerable because of my sacrifice? Are we willing to hear the tough words of Jesus? as well as the words that seem to make so much sense. And then he says, We are to be merciful just as your Father is merciful. To be merciful just as your Father is merciful. He asks us to be compassionate, just as God is compassionate with us. We always seem to forget that part, that God has already given us so much. And yet somehow we think it's expected. God did it with nothing in return. Loved us when we were yet sinners. When we were broken. Didn't wait till we got our act together before loving us and caring about us. 
The United Methodist Church asserts in the Book of Discipline, which is our, our book of rules and regulations, it says the people of God who are the church made visible in the world must convince the world of the reality of the gospel or leave it unconvinced. The people of God who are the church made visible in the world must convince the world of the reality of the gospel or leave it unconvinced. So how do we convince the world of the reality of the gospel that Jesus preached? In a pick-your-side culture, what does it look like to love your enemies? To pray for those who persecute you. Especially when it's easier to dismiss the views of those you disagree with than to learn and to listen. Neither one of those requires you to agree. Listening is much harder than defending. We must focus on compassion and love. Love begins with seeing and hearing those who are different from you and me. That means that those who voted, who stand on the other side, should be heard and seen. And the hearing and seeing is the opportunity to love. Everybody wants to be heard and seen. To know that they matter. That someone cares. It's a hallmark. You matter. You are loved by God. There are no qualifications on the cards that we hand out and the words that we say. With hearing and seeing comes understanding. Comes compassion. See, compassion is to feel or to join in the passion with another person. Once again, non-agreement. But to understand how somebody feels, where they are in their life, and their beliefs, and their understandings. It doesn't mean we have to agree. He never says that. Can we hear and see those with whom we differ? Is in hearing and seeing them, can we join with them in their pain to come alongside of them? Can we extend love? And perhaps more importantly, we extend compassionate love. Not in order to get something back, simply because it's the gospel message. We don't love others because we get something back. Or even Jesus says, that's good, you did a great job, that is awesome. We love because we're supposed to love, amen? Because it's the gospel message. Because he said this, say it with me. But I say to you who are willing to hear, love your enemies. Are there any qualifications there? I watched the live stream of the day of prayer at General Conference yesterday. And it truly was a day of prayer. There was very little business conducted. And it really opened my eyes to the diversity that exists in our community and our connection around the world. When you see all the countries that are there, when you see everything that's going on, in the morning there were bishops from Europe and Eurasia, Africa, the U.S., and the Philippines, all gathered together in different ways of praying that was happening at tables 
and different places that go along the way. David's just keep going. I'll just keep following. This bishop from Africa was preaching the gospel. He said, we don't need written prayers. These are our delegates. Holly Neal on the front is our lay leader, lay leader of the annual conference. Jacob Armstrong is a pastor at Providence in Mount Juliet. Stephen Handy is a pastor at McKendree downtown. They're just praying. They don't have an agenda. They're not trying to figure out what everybody's position is at that moment. They're just praying, being open to God's spirit. I mean, look at them. And they guided the gathering and experiential prayers, sharing the mission, the ministry, the challenge of the United Methodist Church, places like the Philippines where one-fifth of the population is even lower than the poverty line. And they sang these songs from their homelands and these songs about God. And it was incredible to see every part of the world represented. It's the next... And so they, these are the, one of the prayer stations that are gathered around. And then the next one shows, I think, all the prayer, some of the prayer stations that are happening. Davis. Humility and compassion. These are set up all over the convention center. Places where they can go and be involved in prayer. Because prayer is the most important work to be done before anything else happens. Even though there's some folks who want to get right down to business. They want to make decisions that affect millions of lives. I even pushed it back against them on Facebook a little bit about the fact that it seemed like nobody was praying at the very beginning. That distressed me. But they're all sitting there chatting when they were asked to go pray. Now, we know that I'm not the biggest prayer in the world, but I understand the importance of the fact is before you make a major decision that affects the entire United Methodist Church around the world, you better be in some pretty good prayer before you do anything. Amen? And they did. One of the things they did too is, I think this is, yep. So I didn't know this, and maybe you did, but from the very beginning from the Eurasia group, they actually sang How Great Thou Art in Swedish. Does anybody know that Sweden is where this song originated? Because I sure didn't. But originally, 1885, Sweden. Then translated into German and to Russian, and the top part's the Russian. So they sang the next verse in Russian. The next verse in German. And I thought, you know, that's a song we think is an American song, a United States song. We didn't create God. We aren't in charge of God. What I got to see around the world was that all these people, they talked about their struggles and their challenges. And these are bishops from all around the world. Stay right there. Don't go anywhere. Poverty, violence. A new law that will not allow Russian Christians to evangelize anywhere outside of the church. They're not allowed to speak about Jesus in public any longer. In any place. It's a public venue. Even in the midst of not being communist anymore. I also saw the pain of LGBTQ brothers and sisters who feel marginalized and talked about and not with. African delegations that don't understand why are we even having this discussion and they feel like we're backwards and misguided and yet in most of the African countries homosexuality is punishable by death. I doubt most of us would agree with that part of it. These groups coming together, feeling heard, trying to figure out 
how to navigate all of these things. The two takes I always hear and see most from people who are, are these two things. You need to read your Bible more to understand better or you need to love more. Neither one of those positions really speaks about the beliefs of any of the groups involved. If I love the Bible and a more traditional understanding of things, then I don't love people. And if I love people, then somehow I don't love the Bible. Neither one of those is true. When you think about it, And no matter whether you're a progressive or a centrist or a traditional, Jesus says this to them all. Say it with me. But I say to you who are willing to hear, love your enemies. That means if you're a progressive, you think a traditional is your enemy, you love them anyways. If you're traditional, you think the progressives are the enemy, you love them anyways. If you're a centrist and either one of them you don't like, then you love them anyways. That's what it means. Because he also added, pray for those who persecute you. Another place. Pray for those who persecute you. Bishop James Swanson Sr. of the Mississippi Conference said during the lunch break that a first general conference day devoted to prayer was something we should have been doing all along. Swanson said that while many delegates have made their minds up about legislation, others don't. And the benefit of prayer goes beyond discernment, he added. I love what he says here. He says, it might help us with our attitude. That's what I'm more concerned about. Attitude and how we treat each other. And that is my hope and concern always. It's not the decision as much as it is the attitude that we treat each other with, that we are somehow enemies, somehow political parties in a theological sense who need to win the day. Today, while we are here, the dialogue and discussion has already begun. Over 800 delegates from around the world will choose today in a simple vote. A simple vote is done by these machines. Very interesting. Some of the questions that they started to ask, the test questions, were really great. One question was, today is a great day. I have real concerns that 22% thought it wasn't a great day. Or if you want to know how divided we are just in life in general, look at the, my favorite ice cream is. What? Strawberry, see? You're a strawberry hater? Oh my God, oh! You see how quickly when you put your favorites up against what somebody else's favorite is, it's real easy and all of a sudden. How about the 8.53% don't like ice cream at all? Now, they're haters. They are haters. (laughs) We can't even decide on the kind of ice cream that we like is our favorite kind of ice cream. Do we really think that somehow we're going to be able to decide on what it means to believe in the ways of Jesus completely? But a simple vote will happen, and then they'll look at almost 80, 70 petitions that go along with this. It's 126 pages long or something like that of just legislation. People have submitted changes and the plans and everything else. 
and judicial councils meeting to decide whether things are in or out. Are they constitutional or not? And it becomes this whole thing they're all going to do in three days. I've shared all those plans with you through the emails tonight. I welcome you to come and we'll talk more about these things if you feel led and want more information. But all the information's there I've sent to you. Go back and look at it. Then they'll work on whatever plan that they choose. And they'll start refining it. So whatever plan is out there, I guarantee it won't look anything like it did when it started. If it even gets adopted. Because they might work on it and get all the way through it. And at the end of it, they may all vote it down. And nothing changes. And nothing happens. Which is why I put that article in there about the fact is, what if nothing happens? It's a possibility. So if we're to convince the world of the reality of the gospel, we must live the way of love every day and in all parts of our lives. Amen? It isn't just a once in a while or when things really are really dire. It requires us to see all the people with their differences and their passions. The way of love, the gospel, is at the heart of the mission to the world. If we act the way children of God act, love is at the center. That is clear throughout all the scripture and all of our decision making. And then Jesus says before we look at others, we must recognize the abundance we've been given. This is what he says. He says a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you are given back. Jesus is envisioning a measure or amount that when weighed out in a sack or a jar is overabundant. It's overabundant. It's, it's more than you could ever possibly need. And because recognizing our abundance, then we, we give an abundance of love and forgiveness and grace. We're not cheap on that because we have been given so much. The bag is full given to us that we can't just go and go, oh, okay, well, I'm going to give you a little bag instead. We have to give the same abundance that God gave to us. There were no qualifications. God loved us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love towards us. That's what it says. And then he goes even further. He says, in case you haven't gotten enough of this yet, and you're trying to work the rest of it out, he goes, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. As if the first part wasn't hard enough. Just as we've been forgiven extravagantly so that attitude of extravagance should be mirrored by God's people in our engagement with the community. That we should be extravagant in all that we do with the people who are around us. To love them beyond measure. To forgive them beyond measure. To give beyond measure. We see it especially in Paul. Paul is the, the great place to be able to see how this is lived out in action. It seems that Paul in every city that he entered began by looking carefully at the people and their religious practices. He didn't condemn them. He didn't condone them. And I believe Paul's amazing success throughout his ministry came in part due to his ability to listen and to learn, to develop strategies, to know the people, to know how to reach them, how to be able to share the message. The ways of communicating that met people where they were in order to introduce them 
to the good news of the gospel in practical and meaningful ways. He met them where they were. He didn't expect them to be any certain place. Deep listening and learning is the place to start if we seek to speak meaningfully into somebody's life. Connecting with values and hopes and dreams of others in relationship. We can't change lives and we don't change them anyways. Jesus changes lives. We build relationships. Then we allow him to do that work. Not us. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn. You will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Which says what? If you don't do these things, then what does it say? You don't receive these things. You know, Paul said to us back in August in our love series, which I had planned all along to be leading in this direction, knowing all this is coming. We talked about love for a whole month. Go back and look at those sermons. But he says this from Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. He says, lead a life worthy of your calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in what? Love. Making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then Jesus will later go on telling us that we should be more concerned with our own journey to holiness more than someone else's. That's later in the Sermon on the Plain. You know, it's that old, you know, look at the log in your own eye before the speck of your brother or sister. Focus on your own holiness. It's enough of a job right there. Jesus doesn't tell us we have to agree. But he does tell us that we do have to love one another. Again and again and again. Jesus prays this kind of prayer in John 17 four times on the last night before he leaves this earth. Why? Because the disciples don't agree with each other. They're infighting. They're all different people. They don't like each other sometimes. And what I'm praying for is that we can say, you know what? I don't have to agree with you about everything. That I don't have to agree with your interpretation of Scripture for you to still be my brother or my sister. That we can still be bound together by following Jesus. The apostles didn't agree on everything, and yet they still went out and changed the world. They left from the upper room united in the mission and in the ministry to go out and to reach other people even when they didn't agree. Peter and Paul did not agree until Peter had what? The vision. Paul wanted to go to the Gentiles. Peter did not. Until they had the vision. I mean, imagine Paul had killed them. Their friends. And yet here God was saying, you know what? Why don't you welcome Paul into the fold? He's going to be with you now, talking about Jesus everywhere he goes. You guys welcome him. How'd that go over to them, you think? Love your enemies. Paul was their enemy. And that our highest calling is not that we have all the right answers. 
Our highest virtue is practicing love. Amen? It's our highest virtue. Not to have all the right answers or or got it all figured out. Our highest calling is love. I want to be a place that welcomes all people in the world, that sees all people and treats them with respect and dignity, because I believe that's what Jesus would want us to do. That he wants us to be able to see everyone for who they are. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to like them. And if they're your enemy, he still doesn't give you a way out. He says you still have to love them, even if they're your enemy. It's what I hear when I read and listen to the words of Jesus like this. Throughout the New Testament, the words of Paul ring out that we talked about like 1 Corinthians 13 a couple weeks ago. That's not about weddings, it's about agape love. The Corinthians are infighting again and again. They are in terrible trouble. And Paul is speaking to them saying, look, all your spiritual gifts don't matter if you can't love each other. All the work that you're doing doesn't matter if you can't love each other. And then he lays out 1 Corinthians 13 to them. And in 1 John 4, 7, that whole chapter, this verse especially, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Go look at 1 John. That's the love chapters. And so I go back to the the woman who was caught in adultery. In that story from John 8, it says after they've done all these things are going on and that they keep, they bring this woman and the Pharisees, they, they want him, they're trying to trap him, but they want him to be able to, to give them the answer that they want. And so it says, starting off, it says, they kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again. He'd been writing in the dust at this time. And he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. He says, okay, go ahead. It's the law, you're right. Go ahead, the first one of you who has never sinned, throw the first stone. And he goes back to writing in the dust. What's he writing in the dust? No one knows. I have to think that he's just writing down sins. Just writing them down. And one by one, people see their sin written down. What if you saw your sin written down? What if your sin was all like a big balloon over your head where everybody could see all the things that you've done in your life? The small ones, the big ones, the getting too drunk, the lying, which is a sin, bearing false witness, adultery, foul language. All of these things are categorized in this way. Sin is actually anything that separates us from God, really. And how many times has that happened to us in our lives? That we're separated from God and do something to offend God. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one. I love this part. Beginning with the oldest. Until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Why the oldest? Because they sinned the most. The older you get, the the more you realize just how much you've broken God's heart and how far away you've been at one time or another in your life or maybe even right now. And so the oldest depart. 
And he's left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Does not even one condemn you? And she says, No, not one. And Jesus says, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. See, the debate at General Conference is to condemn or to condone. That's the debate. But neither of those feels very loving for me toward people who are homosexual. I don't like either one of those options. I'm a centrist. I'm in the middle. I always get beat up. I don't want to be a church that condemns or a church that condones. I want to be a church where we love. I don't want to be a denomination where we're split apart because we have the inability to be able to be central around the things that we do agree with. I don't want to see my brothers and sisters split I don't want to see Gallatin first go one direction. Good Shepherd go another. I don't want to see them fight it out for the next three days. I love this church. This church brought me to God. And this church has become my family and my community. Gathered together. No matter how we believe. In who we are. Even people we disagree with and think are our enemies or are our enemies, he says the same thing, and I can't get over that. When you think the person's the wrongest person in the world and they've got it all screwed up and not figured out, he still says these words, say them with me. But I say to you who are willing to hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And this verse from here I am, Lord, kept running through my mind when I was writing these words. It says, I will break their hearts of stone. I will give them hearts for love alone. I don't want these stones to define who we are as a community and a congregation, as a conference, and as a denomination. Because they are not who Jesus is. We are not these stones. This is not who he called us to be. I will speak my word to them. Whom shall I send? MLK, Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have decided to stick with love because hate is too great a burden to bear. I don't want to hate anybody. In our house, Susan doesn't let us use the word hate or anything because it's a strong word. It's a hurtful word. It's an enemy word. It's not a word of Jesus. It shouldn't be a word of us. And at the end of the day, I think this pick from Davis sums it up. He sent this and posted it on Facebook. And he said, this is what he said on Facebook. He says, no matter what happens or doesn't happen in St. Louis this week, we are still called to be the church. After this is over, there will still be 13 guys who need a place to be able to stay who we don't ask what they believe or who they are or what sexuality they are or what bad mistakes they made in their life. There will still be ministry across these pews with each other 
even though we don't agree, there will still be a church and there will still be a need in the world. And my hope is, my hope is, is that we as Good Shepherd are stronger than our denomination. That we are stronger in our love for each other and our relationship for one another to say that these are the people that I love and care about more than anything else. More than 800 people sitting in a room somewhere pushing buttons deciding the fate of what it is that we will do and believe in this church. I'm a connectional person, but this has made me more and more congregational. That I don't care what happens at General Conference and what they decide to do. What I care about is what happens here and with each one of you. That you are willing to sit around the table, like I've said before, the Thanksgiving dinner moment, you know, where you have people at the table maybe you, you don't agree with and the fights start about politics and about everything else, and yet there's still that crazy uncle who comes to dinner and you still love him the same way as you would the other person that's over there. People in your family you don't agree with, but you still want them to be there. You want them to be at the table with you. You want them to be able to eat and to be able to be a community of faith and not be bound by the one thing that we differ on and the nine things that we don't. Amen? I choose love. And I don't want to condemn, but I also don't want to condone. I'm in the middle. We're all sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. I'm not here to pick out your particular sin. I'm here to be a part of the love towards one another. And I pray that's where your heart is too. As we get into the midst of this week and you're going to see all kinds of articles come out in the paper and you'll see Washington Post and AP and everything else. And I love reading the articles from the outside. One article, it was in the uh, Washington Post, I think it was, or was it Wall Street Journal? There's a guy, that, don't read the comments, by the way, either. Never read the comments. Never read the comments on any post. But I did. He compared the United Methodist Church to the KKK. He said the cross, I never heard this before, the cross and flame was actually a burning cross. The people in the South were all bigoted and racist. I had never heard that about our church before. Lots of things you could say. That was one I'd never heard. I don't want to be known as that. Hopefully the guy's a right-wing nut job. I don't know. But, may, but if he thinks that, are there others out there that think that about us too? What we stand for is hate, racism, a lack of love. So will you love this week? Will you love in spite of whatever happens at our denominational level? They're praying, they're deciding, their decisions will something we have to deal with. But I hope that first and foremost that we can be a place of love. So what I want you to do this morning as we come up for communion, why don't you put your stone down? Maybe you're like me, you got tired of holding it, you know? Getting real sick and tired of holding the stone. Trying to preach with it really hard. Just, I don't need this in my hand. And I think back to the song, and so, you know, I bought an overabundance of these, a lot of them. Because Neko, 
didn't make them this year. And so I thought that I would go buy about like a 10-pound bag of Brock's ones. And I have a lot of these. An overabundance, you might say. But I'm thinking that this love, this is what we take home with us. This is what's more important than these stones. I will, make, I will break their hearts of stone, make them for love and love alone. So I want you to forget the stones. I want you to let them go. I want you to take on love as the most important virtue. I'm not saying it's not easy. I'm not saying we all agree. I'm not saying we all have to agree either. None of that. But we do all have to love. Well, the biggest thing they say about the church is if we can't figure out how to live together, then what can we possibly show to the world that's any different? Some say, well, we need to get divorced. That's a better thing to do. Well, if you've been divorced, you know that it's not. What I always tell people is there are some divorces that are better than others, but there is no good divorce. There are some reasons to be divorced. But there are 39,000 denominations in, this, in, the, in the world, all because somebody split over one issue somewhere along the way and over the next issue. This is not the issue that I want to split over. Love needs to be what we're about. Love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Amen. Back to that last night. And he's sitting there, and they're all laughing and joking and, you know, just thinking it's just a regular meal. They have no idea what's going to happen next. And he begins to lay the heavy stuff on them. I'm leaving. I won't be with you. This bread isn't just bread tonight. This bread is my last supper. It's my body broken for you. Given for you. I remember at this table, as I've mentioned before, you also have Judas, his enemy, their enemy, as we tended to put him in that category, at the table eating with them. In the same way, he lifts the cup of redemption. This is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Those are the words that we use all the time. There are no qualifications. It doesn't say if you believe this, if you believe that. It says all. Once again, this isn't the place that sorts that out. To Jesus for all wheat and chaff. We're all wheat and weeds. It's not sorted out. They grow together in the, in the parables that he tells. But this blood is poured out for everyone equally. And so as you come forward this morning to, to receive these things, I really want you to think about you know, what it is that has to happen in your life to be able to love. It's not easy. Believe me, over the next couple of days, I'm probably going to be saying all kinds of things to myself about what I'm hearing from people, from every side. 
I don't believe any church should come out and be able to give a position about where they stand because I can't speak for all of you. And I won't even begin to try. Our church council can't speak for us. And yet some of my friends have come out and have said what their church is, is about. I'm not doing that. Together we're a community that's very diverse. And so as you come forward to lay your stove down and pick up your heart, now, I promise you, some of them are not readable. Don't try to read it, because I have no idea what they say. They're brought. Neko's much better at doing them printing. But If you don't like it, don't eat it. Put it somewhere you want to put it, where you can remember what it means to love. I can tell you what. Carrying this around with you, as opposed to carrying this around with you, a lot less weight. It's probably a metaphor in there somewhere. To come forward, receive this morning. Know the blessing of God. Know that God loves you, that this table is open to all. And it's Christ who invites to this table, not me or the United Methodist Church. He is above and beyond all that. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we come forward to receive this morning, let us know your grace and your forgiveness and your truth of these words. Let us know what it means to love our enemies the same way from the cross. Even your enemies, you said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Lord, often that can be said of us. We have no idea what we're doing. Lord, help us. Free us. Tell us it is well with our soul when we turn to you and we know your presence. Pour your spirit upon this bread and this juice now as we receive them. And be the body and blood of Christ. And the people of God said together, Amen. Let those who are coming forward to serve come forward. forward. Lay down your rocks. Pick up your love. Let Jesus live in your heart. Know his presence. He's the only one that can change us. Come forward. Grand earth has quaked before Moved by the sound of his voice And seas that are shaken can be calmed and broken for my regard listen those stones fall and through it all through it all my eyes are on you and through it all through it all it is
across these aisles and I want you to take the hands of your people. Reach across. Nobody without a hand. by our beliefs or anything else. We're unified by Christ. We're unified by our brokenness. We're unified by our ability to come together and to be the body of Christ even when our denomination can't. 
my hope and prayer is we love each other more than anything else that could happen this week. I think that you do. I pray that you do. No matter what it is, that this community will be a good shepherd, bound together in love, in forgiveness, and in ministry. Amen. Let go.